Thank you, Carl. I just love how we start the day with worshiping and prayer and word and song from our hearts. Amen. How many of you here like TED Talks? Like, just give me a hand. Like, raise your hand like if you like TED Talks. Give them high. That's like twice the number from first service. This place is so culturally hot. Like, but don't tell people in first service I said that. How many don't know what a TED Talk is? Get them up high. <laughs> so TED, T-E-D, TED Talk. There's, these are, you can find them on YouTube. You can find them on the internet. Uh, they're about, they're only 18 minutes long. But they're the most, foremost minds and wisdom and stories uh, from around the world that are just, they're really interesting. I, and I ran into a TED Talk last night while I was working on a sermon late. And I thought, oh man, I gotta add this in. It's, it was a TED Talk, uh, 18 minutes, about the paradox of choice. And it was a psychologist named uh, Barry Schwartz who, uh, who says here in America, in, in Western culture, there's this unspoken rule that we all know. This unspoken rule is you maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. So think about that. He's right. We maximize our happiness by maximizing, we get the most joy by having the most freedom. We're the land of the free. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Happiness follows liberty. And then Schwartz continued, he said, the way to maximize freedom then, if we maximize our happiness by maximizing freedom, how do we maximize our freedom? He says we maximize our freedom in our culture by maximizing our choice. So let me put the whole, whole formula together. We maximize our happiness by maximizing our freedom. How do we maximize freedom? By having as much choice as we can have. He says, let me give you an example. He said, in my supermarket, there are 175 salad dressings. <laughs> there are 75 iced teas, 230 soups, two, he count them, 285 types of cookies and 40 toothpaste. We love in America having choice. The more choice we have, the more happy we are. But to understand this, the more choice that we have, we have to have less restriction, less rules, right? He said, he goes on to say, he says, so much is choice so prevalent in our culture that today I can re-identify myself whatever I want to be. In choice, I can even choose my gender. I can wake up every morning and choose who I want to be because I believe that will give me the most happiness through the most freedom. And he summarized the problem with this formula by showing a cartoon, and here's the cartoon. It's a mom fish and a baby fish in a fishbowl. Says you can do anything you wanna be, no limits. You can be anything you wanna be, no limits. But you look at this picture and there's a problem, isn't there? The fishbowl. And he said, here's the problem. He said, the truth of the matter is, is that if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom. If we shatter the fishbowl of our lives so we can have all the freedom, all the choice that we want, we don't actually get freedom. We get paralysis and we get death by taking us out of what gives us life. Now this was not a religious talk. 
he summarized by saying everybody needs a fishbowl. Maybe our fishbowls are different sized. Everybody needs a fishbowl. For Christians, we have 10 laws or commandments. And in a way, they're a fishbowl for us. They're a fishbowl that I want to argue today or share today that does not restrict our freedom. It's a fishbowl that actually gives us freedom. So let me say that again. The Ten Commandments are like a fishbowl for us as Christians, but they don't restrict our freedom. They actually give us freedom. So before we jump into all that, I want to welcome everybody. Thank you all for being here. It's good to see everybody. It's seeing new faces every week, too. For those who are online, we're glad you're hanging with us, too. We know we got a lot of soldiers deploying soon, too, and one of the best benefits of having the ability to stay online is those who cannot get with us today still get to be part of our family, so we're glad that you're with us. For our guests, my name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. You got this super cool worship guide when you walk through the door in the back are these sermon notes which outline what we're talking about today. We are going to talk about the Ten Commandments. For the next, not ten weeks, eight, we're going to combine a couple of them, but we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. I think we're going to share them in a way that I don't think you've ever really seen before. And so the Bible talks about the Ten Commandments in two places, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to hang out today in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So if you want to turn with me, join with me on your app, join with me on your Bible, and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's the fifth book in your Bible. And we're going to start there at verse 1. Here's the Ten Commandments. For those of you who watch old movies, here's Moses on the hill getting two tablets of stone. God gives the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel who's in Exodus. They are going through the desert, heading to their promised land. And they're going to this land to show the world who God is through this group of people. God's special people are designed that the whole world will see who God is. And so he gives them these Ten Commandments. Let's start, and their leader's name is Moses. And so let's start here in chapter 5, verse Verse 1. Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel. Here are the decrees and regulations I'm giving you today so you may learn them and obey them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us on Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. And I stood, Moses said, as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and I passed his words onto you. And this is what he said. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So here we are. Here's the setup. Now everything that follows this is the Ten Commandments. But here is the setup. Moses, mountain, God gives them the covenant agreement, the Mosaic covenant, the ten laws of how these people will live. He gives them to Moses. Moses is a representative of the people. Moses gives them to the people. These ten commandments share how they are to live in community. The first four are how they live in community with God. The last six are how they live in community with each other. So that's what this is all about living in community together. But what's most important as we set this up is going back to verse six. Look back there at verse six. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. A loving God rescued his people out of slavery first. 
Then he gave them the Ten Commandments. So why is that so important? Let's look at our first sermon note together. Grace came before the law. This is really important to understand. Grace, God's grace, came before the law, the Ten Commandments. God first saved them from slavery in Egypt. Seven days of work, days they worked, they were under such oppression. Through his grace, through his unmerited favor, he brought them out, and then he gives them the law. So let me reword this. God saves, and the commandments are a consequence of that salvation. Consequence isn't always bad. A lot of times, consequence is good. God saved first, consequence of salvation is these commandments. So let me rephrase it another way. Salvation is not a reward for obedience. Salvation is a reason for obedience. Does everybody follow me? God saves them from slavery. Then he shows his people how to live with 10 commandments so they stay out of slavery. So we see here first that the law of the 10 commandments are not intended to enslave, which we think as restrictions, but they're how they stay liberated from slavery, specifically the slavery of sin. Now it's really important to bring this up because when we look at the Ten Commandments today, as a matter of fact, most of you, this is the only time, now some of you, I'm not picking on you, few of us read King James Version, but a lot of us speak King James when we say, thou shalt not. <laughs> Otherwise you don't ever, ever quote King James, but thou shalt not. We don't like the word don't. We didn't like it as kids. We don't like it growing up. We don't like the word don't. We like our freedom. We're Americans. Land of the free. Eight of the ten commandments have that word don't, that negative word don't. So we look at them, tend to, if we don't really understand the commandments, we tend to look at them as a bunch of don'ts. And then people outside it look at Christian faith and say it's just about a bunch of don'ts. I am going to argue today and for the next eight weeks that the commandments are actually about do. They're actually about do. But the word don't is used for a purpose. We want to share for the next eight weeks that the Ten Commandments are a much bigger viewpoint. We're going to use the whole biblical narrative in a fresh way that's so much bigger than a bunch of don'ts. God was giving us much more than rules to be followed. He was showing his very character and will in these Ten Commandments. So here's a list. You don't have this on your worship guides. If you want to write them in, you can. Each of the Ten Commandments, there's four things that we want to know about each of the Ten Commandments that are really important to us. The first, when it comes to each one of the Ten Commandments, the first thing that we know is that each one of us shows us the character of God. When we're looking at the commandments, we are looking at the law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart and his character. Every commandment shows us what God's character is like. They say something about his holiness. They say something about his honor. They say something about his worth and his majesty. When we read these, we are seeing his character in all ten. So the second thing that the commandments show us is that they confront our character. In 1 Peter 1, it says, for the scriptures say, you must be holy, God says, because I am holy. So if the commandments show how God is holy, then they confront our character to be holy too. As Christians, we are to be holy like God. That's who we are. We are God's people in Christ. We are set apart to live 
in God's ways. We must be prepared as a people to stand alone, to look different and have rules that the world does not understand. But when we become lawbreakers, when we break the commandments, we lessen the image of God in us. And so these commandments then confront us to change. Third thing, not only do they show us the character of God and they confront our character, they point us down the right path. They're a do statement. In the Ten Commandments, it's do this. Each commandment charts a new path for us to walk by God's grace alone. In this life, we'll walk this path. We won't be perfect, but it's very visible when we walk the path of the Ten Commandments. And we walk them not in order to get God's approval, but because we've already freely received God's approval. And the last thing, they show us his character, they confront our character, they point us in the right direction, and they remind us of God's promise. There's many promises in the Bible. This one I want to speak specifically to is that God promises he will write this law on our hearts. God will take each commandment from the pages of our Bible and he will put them distinctively deep into our personality and our hearts. He says this, if you want to write this down, in Jeremiah 31, 33. In the Old Testament, it says, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. It's a promise. But then you go to the New Testament. We always think Ten Commandments are kind of an Old Testament thing. They're not much of a New Testament thing. You go to Hebrews. Write down Hebrews 10, 15, 16. For there it says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to this. He says, this is the new covenant. The new covenant, the new agreement in Jesus that I will make to people on that day. I will put my law in their hearts and I will write that on their minds. And he says, and I will never again, because of the new covenant in Christ, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. They remind us of God's promise that he'll put them deep here. The Ten Commandments are not about constraint or limiting our happiness. That's how the world wants to try and tell us. As a matter of fact, look at our second sermon note together. The commandments are about freedom and joy. The commandments are about freedom and joy. They're about staying out of slavery to sin and enjoying the freedom that comes from that slavery. Psalm 119.2 Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Joyful. Now, here's homework this week. Go read all of Psalm 119 because nine more times he says how much joy he gets from God's law. Multiple times he tells you how much he loves God's law. All this shaping of what God's law does, Psalm 119 is all about the law and the beauty of God's love given to us through this Mosaic covenant. In verse 45 in Psalm 119 says, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. So there's a good nutshell what, every week we're going to kind of hit on the big scale of what the Ten Commandments, but let's get to the first one. 
The first commandment, the very first commandment is in Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. We'll pick up right in verse 7. We're kind of cascading along. Here's the first one. The first commandment God gives, it's one of the shortest ones. You must not have any other God but me. Very first commandment. No other gods. Literally, this means you should not, you shall not have any other God in my face, in my presence, is a literal translation. And I always think of when, when they brought the god Dagon his, and his carved image and they put it in the temple, God's temple, and in the morning they found it face down. And so they stood it back up. The next day they come back in, it's face down. Because <laughs> you will not have other gods in my presence. In the days as this Israelite nation moved to the land of Israel, the land of milk and honey, all around them were all these nations that did not know God and worshiped all these carved idols and images, different things. And that's kind of foreign to us in our nation of thinking, worshiping idols and things. I think for today, what we are more confronted with is this statement is we all worship the same God. Your next sermon note, the first commandment is about who God is. The first and second, we're gonna talk about them both today. They're kind of close. They look, but they're very distinctly different. The first one is about who God is. Who do we worship? There is only one God. He is the God of the Bible. You wanna know who he is? He is the God of the Bible. That's listed out over years, centuries of description. He never changes. His story's still true all the way through how he's revealed through Christ. We see the detail of who God is through Christ. And today we see who God is through the Holy Spirit when he makes God leap out. This is a God of the Bible that we worship. I am who I am, God says. There are no others. But we also do live in a multi-religious society. You don't have to go far to see people that worship other things. We're surrounded by different faiths and many of them do not know the God of the Bible. And here's the tragic part, everybody, is that we're so used to it, it doesn't offend us or doesn't hurt us or we don't care about the tragedy of somebody else worshiping and not knowing the true God. We get so used to it, it's right next to us. And we lose heart about the tragedy that they do not know the loving God revealed in Christ. I heard this statement once, I don't know who said it, so I can't give proper credit, but I thought it was kind of, how important is the first command? They said the first commandment is so important that if you get it wrong, the other nine don't matter. And there's some truth to that. If I don't worship the true God, the next nine aren't that big of a deal. How do we know though? How do we, each one of us, know that I am obeying the first commandment? So I made another list, just four things that will help us know, am I, am I worshiping the one and only God? So here's four things to think about that would help. First is we marvel at God. This is how I know. I marvel at God. I wake up in the morning, I see him in the sunrise, I see him at work throughout my day, I see him in the very breath I breathe. I marvel all day that I am his son. It's like, wow. Like, there's a day where it's like, wow, God. 
Another way we know that we're obeying the first commandment is we rely on God each hour. This is hard for us because we're really affluent as a society. We don't need God, we think, all the time. But yet we do. We rely on him for the very gift of the sunrise this morning that we all got this gift that the sun came up this morning. We rely on him because we are not promised today, but he gives us every day as a gift. And it starts there. I am dependent on him for everything that I have and everything that I do. Another way that we know we're obeying the first commandment is we call on him. We talk to him, not just in distress. We see him with us all day long. His presence is not only around us, but in us. And we love talking to him. I call on him all day long for the hard things. I praise him for the great things. I have great conversations about sports with him because I think he loves sports too. But I do. I, I just, I see him. We should see him. And the last way that we know that we're obeying the first commandment is we constantly thank him. You know, I share this all the time. When I got up a few Sundays ago and I went, I just counted my blessings from the bed to the coffee pot to the shower and I counted like 30, 40 of them and that probably isn't even a fraction of how many blessings I have every day. I thank him that we're here together as a body. I thank him for our people online. I thank him that we're seeing his word together. I thank, it's all day long as I have a lot to be thankful for, even on the bad days. And you look at that list and say, wow, do I do that? Do I marvel? Do I rely? Do I call? Do I thank? And if I'm not doing that on a daily basis, I might be missing out on worshiping the true God. So if the first commandment is about who we worship, then the second, it looks kind of close, but the second is about how we worship. So let's pick up back in Deuteronomy 5. Now we're on verse 8. It says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God and I will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. In the Old Testament times, like I was saying, it's pretty common, all the other gods were carved. There were golden calves and poles and things they carved into a, a non-living thing. And sometimes they'd have living things, like they would, they would worship animals or things like that, and God says, no. And sometimes they would try to mix them with the God of the Bible. The living God refused to be represented by anything non-living, a carving, etc., and so for us, it's a little bit weird to think, yeah, we don't necessarily have, I mean, there are some religions that worship idols and things, but for the most part, it's, it's a transcendent spiritual thing. So it's weird to think about this, but I want us to go, how this commandment hits us today, I think, are in the very first six words. You must not make for yourself. And I think the biggest thing in our culture today comes in note number four. The second commandment is about customizing God. The second commandment is don't make God how you want to make him for yourself. Don't take the God of the Bible and distort him and just pick what we want to choose and throw out what we don't. When we look at the Ten Commandments and we believe that they are outdated, that they don't, I mean, I've got to show this chart here in a couple of weeks to show how much that's changed just a few years ago, how, the, how our nation thinks about the Ten Commandments and each rule. 
But the thing of this is, is that, is that if I just say some of the commandments are important and the other ones aren't, I diminish the holiness of God and I change him. To believe that God loves everyone and won't stop anybody from coming to heaven, whether they loved him or rejected him or not, is customizing God. To claim to be Christian, which 70% of our nation of America believes and says I'm Christian, to claim I'm Christian, but yet I really worship wealth, position, status, or addiction, means that I customize my God to what I want. And I think that commandment speaks more today to don't make him into something else than what he is. I'd love to say a lot more about the first two, but the next eight still talk to the first two. So we're just gonna keep moving on. But there's, there's an important thing. The first two are about, so important about how we worship God, who we're worshiping and how we're worshiping. But they're both about worship. And it's really important that we understand how those first two commandments are to you and I, how we worship God, has a big impact. Look at your next note with me. How we worship in commandment one and two impacts our children and grandchildren. How we choose to worship God has a long-lasting impact and even an eternal impact. How we worship God ripples through life long after we're gone. And this is really hauntingly shared in the next verse of Deuteronomy 5. Starting in verse, second half of verse 9. After God says, this is how you worship me, he says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But, you guys know that's my favorite word in the Bible, right? But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So what this is saying is, is it embeds this into the Ten Commandments. If we get worship of God wrong, it impacts, look at our children. If those who don't have children yet think about this, for those who are really being joyful with our grandchildren, think about this. How I handle the first two commandments impacts my children. It's how I worship. If it's not good, if I customize God or I reject him as God, it'll affect my third and fourth generation. If you check, a generation is 30 years. So if I don't care about how I worship, it can impact 120 years of my family long after I'm gone. But, God never leaves us there. But, I will lavish my love for a thousand years on those who love me and obey my commandments. A thousand years divided by 30, you can kind of get an idea how generationally that impact works. The reason God made this covenant law with humans is not that he might punish them, but that he might show them love. It's written right here. He wrote the commandments not so he would punish. He wrote them so he could lavish his love on them for thousands of years. That's God's intent. The joy of the do in the commandments. Love has the last word. 
So this one kind of takes our breath away a little bit, right? What about when we stumble and we break a law? So now this has to kind of hit us real. We've only gone through two, but what happens when I stumble and I break one of the laws? Here's our last sermon note together. Did you break a law? We can recommend a good defense attorney. <laughs> this ties us right back to the very first sermon note. Grace goes before law. God's love was given, his rescue was given before he gave the law. Not only is this true in the Old Testament, it is true in the New Testament. The Ten Commandments are so important in the Old Testament, they're just as important. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. There's one person who took away the penalty of that sin when we don't obey that commandment. When we break God's law, there's one person that came that took the penalty away so we didn't have to pay it. His name is Jesus. He came in grace to rescue us from slavery, to sin. And he paid the price so we didn't have to, even when we go back and break things again. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I know that all of us have broken at least one law. Chances are, when you look at the magnitude of the Ten Commandments, we've broken close to all of them. But there's an amazing defense attorney who came so we could have freedom, and all it takes is loving him, loving God through him, and loving his commandments. And this is beautifully depicted in 1 John, a New Testament writing written to the young Christian church. 1 John 2, 1 through 6 is a good place to stop on this today. It says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you that so you will not sin, so you will not break God's laws. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of the whole world and let me add the sins of every generation. The price Jesus paid on a cross was for every sin thousands of years ago, every sin that will happen today and it covers every sin that will happen tomorrow. And we can be sure that we know him what does it say? If we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person, look how strong this is, is a liar and is not living in the truth. But, favorite word, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. We don't obey God's commandments because we're not supposed to do something or we're supposed to do something. We obey God's commandments because we love him through Christ. This is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives just like Jesus did. Let me go back one more time. Those who obey God's commandments show how much they completely love him. It's not a do or don't thing. It's an act of worship. And a worship in love, returning the same love that, that the Father sent to us when he saved us before he put the law in place. So let me go way back to our TED talk and let me reformulate what was said that would help us today. We will maximize our joy by maximizing our freedom. I agree with that. We will maximize our joy by maximizing our freedom 
and we maximize our freedom by maximizing our love for God's commandments. I want to say that one more time. We maximize our joy by maximizing our freedom. We are the land of the free. We maximize our freedom by maximizing our love for God's commandments. Can I get one big amen? Amen. Amen. So I want to go to a time of offering together, and it's a really important time of worship. I always stop here to talk about that just a little bit. Offering is a time where we look at what we've seen in God's word and what we've done to worship together and as one body, we kind of, this is a time where we look at what he's putting on our hearts and we give back. Offering is more than putting money in a plate, but I want to remind you when you leave today there are boxes by the doors. And if you have a financial gift that fuels the mission of this church, please leave it there. Give your best gift to God because he gave you the best gift in the Ten Commandments and the best saving grace through Jesus Christ. But I want us to reflect, are we missing one and two a little bit today? Maybe that's our offering. Is We're struggling just with one and two. The others don't matter if we can't get through one and two well. And that we change today. We don't walk out of here the same, but we change. And then walk out of here giving him our best gift every day. Marvel in him every day. Talk to him. Trust him. Rely on him. Thank him. We have so much to be thankful for. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these commandments that they aren't don'ts. I mean, there's don't in there, but it's so much about do and so much about freedom. And Father, if there's anybody in this room that does not have this freedom, that they can walk out free today, that they can write on their connect card, I need this freedom with somebody, walk with me and we'll walk with you. We'll walk with you into that freedom. Father, I offer Wayne and Dorothy up to you a willing sacrifice that they want to be exactly where you want to be. And if that's here, that there's a resounding yes from all of us, but it first has to come through the Holy Spirit. But Father, put them exactly where you want them because we want the best for them too. They're that special. Father, rise up your church today as we go out and worship, that we worship the one true God and we're not afraid to tell the world about it. And let our gift today, our financial gift, be our best. Let our gift of time and service treasure all those things be our best to our guests Father bless them that this is the body of Christ they need to be in that they come back that they fill out a connect card drop it off today and we can have them and bring them in the family and grow with them it's a big offering it's not big for you it's huge for us we lift this all up in the mighty power and name of Jesus Christ